0: Well, welcome to week three of our summer series, summer blockbusters, epic stories from the Bible. As you've heard this weekend, we're gonna be taking a look at the life and times of Moses. And as I spent time studying over the last couple of weeks where we were gonna spend most of our time, something jumped out to me and it's this. The plot line of this story that we're gonna look at has a tremendous amount of similarities from as any other story or summer blockbuster that you would go see in the theaters. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Transformers, Age of Extinction, Expendables 3. <sighs> Why there was a need for Expendables 2, I don't know. But Expendables 3, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, all these movies have the same plot, right? There's a good guy, which a lot of times is a superhero. There's a bad guy, at some point in the movie, the good guy and the bad guy fight, usually over some stance of global domination. And then nine times out of 10, the good guy wins, overcoming evil once and for all, saving the world from evil and darkness. And so that's the plot line of this movie. But what I realized is, while that plot is similar, There are things about these movies that keep us going back time and time and time again paying dollar after dollar after dollar so number one if you hear anything this weekend save your money just go see one of them you don't have to go see all of them but as i thought about that i realized there's something inside of us that tells us we were made for something bigger and it's probably not to fight evil transformers but i know there's something in there that we like to see things blown up because my five-year-old's drawn to that and i didn't teach him that he just loves it But I think it's that we know that we were made for something bigger than the mundane story that most of us find ourselves living out. We talked a couple weeks ago about how most of us find ourselves saying, this is what our life is about. We're gonna go to college, we're gonna get a job, make some money, buy a car, start a family, buy a house. If we make enough money, we buy a beach house, and then we die, which none of us go see that movie. Okay, that's hashtag not epic, we don't do that but we know something deep down inside of us tells us that we were made for something bigger, and so we chase after that storyline, we crave that bigger storyline, but we don't live it. And so I would say, why is that? And so I have the luxury of asking all the questions, and I can't hear from all of you, so I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say, if I ask you that question, you would say, "Well, that's easy, Jason, I'm not a superhero. And so while you're right, you're smart enough to know that you're not Superman, which is something my wife would tell you is something I still struggle with. I run around the backyard with a cape on with my children. But I wanna propose two things to to you this weekend as we get started. The first is this, you were made for bigger things than you think. Hands down, you were made for bigger things than you think. And the second thing is this, you actually don't have to be a hero, a superhero to live those things out. You were made for more than you think and you don't have to be a superhero to live those things out. And I think when we look at the life of Moses, we're gonna see God do some huge things in his life. But at the end of the day, we're gonna say, you know what, I'm not all that different than that character in the story. So, we're going to jump in. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Exodus. That's where we're going to spend the most of our time this weekend. Uh, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's right after Genesis. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the passages up on the side screens. Uh, You can trail along the message notes section of our Get Hope app if you'd like. Before we jump in, though, I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory as to where we are in Exodus. God's people, the Hebrew people, Abraham's descendants, the folks that you heard about last week from Brian Cheney, They're currently being held captive in Egypt, who at this time is a world power. So God's people are slaves. And you read in Exodus chapter two as it wraps up, because they were crying out to God in the midst of their slavery. And it says, God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. And so that's the context for the life of Moses. God's people were in slavery. And God was concerned about them. And the life of Moses is actually, there's a lot to it. And we're not even going to get to all of it. We're probably going to get to a third of it in our time together. And so what I've done is I said, we're going to look at 14 chapters. And then to keep things simple for you, to keep things simple for me, we're going to break that up into four scenes. And so these are the four scenes that we're going to look at. We're going to look at Moses' past, Moses' call, his excuses, and we're going to look at opposition. So to make this easy, I'm going to have you repeat this back to me say, past, The call, Call. excuses, Excuses. and opposition. Opposition. Okay, so we're together. Scene one, Moses passed. This is a quick scene here. I'm gonna put 40 years into about two minutes, so hang on. Moses' life starts out crazy. He was born at a time where Hebrew boys were actually being killed by the Egyptians. So his mom was fearful for his life, which she should have been, and so she puts him in a basket and puts him in a river. So she probably wouldn't win mom of the year for that decision. But she had good intentions, and her plan actually worked out because what happened was Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh was the king, the overseer in Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter found him, fell in love with the kid, and then raised Moses as her own son. And so Moses actually grew up with a much greater lifestyle, a much more lavish lifestyle, better education, uh, military training, some leadership that he never would have gotten had he grown up as a Hebrew slave. So that worked. But somewhere along the line, as Moses was growing up, he realized while he was being raised in an Egyptian household that he still had a heart for his people. He realized that his people were being oppressed. And one day when he was about 40 years old, he was out walking around and he saw two Hebrews, two Israelites, being taken advantage of by an Egyptian. And in a moment of rage and frustration, he actually murders the Egyptian. And so he hides the body, hoping that nobody sees, but the next day he finds out that people are talking about it. And so he does what a lot of us would do if we made a terrible decision. He runs and he hides. And so at 40 years old, Moses leaves everything that he grew up with. Uh, Growing up in the house uh, of Pharaoh, he leaves the Hebrew people and he takes off and he starts over completely, an entire new life running from his past. And so I just ask you, do you know anybody like that? Just one mistake, one moment of unsound judgment, and they leave their entire life. And I don't know, maybe that's you. Maybe you're facing a situation of debt. Maybe you had a broken relationship. I will never talk to this person again. I will pretend like that never happened. But you find yourself just, this is my past, and this is where I am because of it. So that's Moses' past. The second scene is the call. And so when you jump into scene two, uh, Moses has settled down a little bit. His wife, uh, he's found a wife. He's about 80 years old. Sorry. And in some way, life has really gone downhill for Moses at this point. Uh, For the last 40 years, while he's married, that's good, but for the last 40 years, he's tended flocks of sheep working for his father-in-law. And so the primary moral or application of this story is wherever you are in life, regardless of what you've been through, it could always be worse. Your job could be to be a shepherd working for your father-in-law. That probably hits a little close to home for our Fuquay people and for our Holly Springs campus. But you get the feeling that Moses is just carrying on with his life. He said, this is, I know that I I may be made for more, but I'm just going to accept things. This is my life now. And at some point, one day, Moses is out walking around, and he's in a field taking care of his sheep, and he sees this bush, and the bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. And so Moses does what a lot of us would do. He goes over to the bush, and then when he goes over to the bush, here's what's happened. Exodus chapter 3 says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. So Moses engages in a conversation with a burning bush, and he hears God tell him this. This is what the bush says. It's it's really God through the bush. I've heard the cries of my people, which are actually your people, and I'm concerned about them, and I'm going to rescue them. And then listen to the call. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God says, Moses, I've heard my people crying out for help, and I'm going to rescue them, and you're the guy that I'm going to use. And I just ask, do you have that in your life? Do you have that thing that, you know, this is what I was made for. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I'm called to. When God wired me together, I know this is my thing. And my guess is that a lot of you know what that is, but I would also say my guess is that a lot of us don't take the action steps that we need to actually move in that direction. That's scene two, the call. Scene three is the excuse. So if this were a movie, what would happen is Moses would go pick up his sword upon the call of God. He would go get 300 of his best soldiers. He would charge the gates of Pharaoh, and he would say, Pharaoh, I'm taking my people, and we're leaving. And Pharaoh would either say okay, or most likely he would say no, there would be a battle right then. And then Moses would lead the Israelites out. What happens seems much more human. Seems much more realistic to, to where we would probably find ourselves in the story. Moses knows exactly what it is that he's supposed to do. He hears the call. He knows what he should do. But he starts out by making excuses. And I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's because he's 80 years old. That could, that could seem realistic. Maybe because he's got a checkered past. God, listen, I, I don't know if you remember this, but last time I was in Egypt, I murdered someone. So if I go back there, there's a good chance that I might get in a little bit of trouble. Or God, hey, 40 years ago, I turned my back on those people and I left and I haven't been back. So if I show up, are they gonna believe that I'm really the guy to lead them out? And God says, Moses, I will be with you. But Moses literally goes back and forth with God with excuses, what if people doubt me? What if I don't have the right words? What if people don't follow excuse after excuse after excuse? And what God is saying to Moses is, Moses, you're the guy for the job, but I'm going to be with you. And what that means is it's not about what you can do. It's about what I can do through you. And if that's you, like if you're in here right now and, and you've got excuses as to why you're not moving towards the things that it is that God is calling you towards, I want you to know that God is saying to you, I wanna use you, but these things that you're worried about, your past, your rejection, your influence, the decisions that you've made, I'm bigger than all of that. And I hope this sounds familiar. I hope you hear elements of this in week one with Adam. I hope you hear elements of this last week with Brian. God wants us to live a life of faith and trusting in him. And sometimes that calls us into taking big steps of faith. But our past gets in the way, and our excuses slow us down. So that's the excuse. Scene four, the opposition. For scene four, we're going to fast forward 11 chapters into Exodus 14 because eventually what happens is Moses comes around and he says, Okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And that infamous scene of Moses going before Pharaoh where he says, Let my people go happens if you're old enough to remember the old Charlton Heston movie where he goes before Pharaoh. I don't know if you remember that, but he, he throws it shows him throw a staff down on the ground and it turns into a snake and then he grabs it by the tail and picks it up. I YouTube some of those videos this week because, you know, I had to because sermon prepping. But that movie was bad. I mean, there were really bad clips in that movie. Somebody reminded me today, it was from the 50s, so give him a break. That's fair, but... Anyways, Moses does, he goes before Pharaoh. He says, listen man, I'd appreciate it if you would let us cut right out of town. We'll get the people. God wants us to go out and worship and so we're just gonna go do that. And he's actually not that, he says, God said, let my people go. But then the Pharaoh does what you would expect any villain to do in a movie or in this type of situation. He says, no, are you kidding me? Like these people take care of us. They build our land, they are our infrastructure. It's cute that your God loves you and that you love your God and that he wants to call you out to the worship. But our answer, is no, the Israelites will stay here in Egypt with us. And so in the story, we have our first run-in with true opposition. And I'm gonna tell you something. If you were called to something in life, if you were called in a certain direction or to do something big, you were going to face opposition, especially if it's a call from God. And this opposition comes from a normal place where you would expect it. It comes from their enemy, who is Pharaoh. So Pharaoh tells Moses, no, you can't go. But God's already told Moses, if he tells you no, or when he tells you no, I'm going to send plagues to their land, and I'm going to wreck Egypt. And so Pharaoh says no, and that's what happens. God sends 10 plagues. There's a plague of blood, of frogs, of hail. There's a plague of boils, which sounds terrible. And what's interesting about this, if you're a nerd, the, every single one of these plagues was actually an assault at an Egyptian god or an Egyptian deity. So what God is doing is he's using this man and he's saying, okay, you won't let my people go worship me as their God. Watch this. I'm going to take a human being and through him, I'm going to make a mockery of your gods and of your deity and what it is that you worship. And so finally, after the 10th plague and Egypt is wrecked, in the middle of the night, Pharaoh says, Moses, get your people, take your flocks, take your herds and get out of here. Go worship your God the way that you want to do. Just leave. And so they experience a temporary victory. And I say it's a temporary victory because before they could get from here to probably Walnut Street, Pharaoh wakes up and he realizes what it is that he's done and he loads up his chariots and he chases after it. Now, I say before you can get from here to Walnut Street, We're a multi-campus church, I wanna be campus sensitive. So if you go to another campus and you're watching this video because you're away on vacation, here you go. If you live life at the Morrisville campus, it is from where you are till you get to, uh, I don't know, the Cracker Barrel. And then if you go to the Holly Springs campus, then it would be based on where you sit in your seat, well, to probably Egypt. So it's probably not that different. It's probably not that far away. We can just use that, because that's what it is in the story. So that's what happens. The Israelites get released, but then Pharaoh decides to chase after them. And so the Israelites set up camp by the Red Sea, and so they, but they can't go any further in that direction uh, with, the, with the Egyptians coming in towards them. And they can't go the other direction because that would be to the desert. They know if they go into the desert, they'll probably die and, and, uh, of thirst because they don't have enough food. So they can't go that direction. And so now they have a new form of opposition, which is just their situation or their circumstances, but also their previous opposition, their enemy is still coming in after them. And so that's the moment. It's a tense situation. And I'll just ask you, what do you think happens? God's people say, Moses, you have led us this far, and we know that, you are, that, that you're following God, and we trust you, and we know in the middle of not knowing what's going to happen, God is going to jump in right now, and he's going to rescue us. And if you've ever led anything before, you know the likelihood of that being the situation is probably slim. Here's what happens. Verse 11, they said to Moses... Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, if you're Moses, this is not your feel-good leadership moment of the year. This is a bad day. He's already faced the opposition of his enemies. The opposition of his circumstances are absolutely terrible. And now the ones that he's actually giving his life to, the ones that he didn't want to do in the first place, he made excuses as to why he shouldn't. Now those people have turned their back on him as well. This is where that statement comes from with friends like this who needs enemies. right? This is the situation he's in. In the heat of the battle, they've turned their back on him. And if you're a leader and you've ever taken any risks in your life and you've found yourself in this moment, this is tough. This is when you realize that leadership is not for the faint of heart. This is when you realize that following after what it is that God calls you to is not always the easiest thing to do. And so if you're a leader, if you're a manager, and we'll just put those words aside, if you're doing what it is in your life that you believe God has called you to and you face this type of opposition in the face of adversity, I want you to know normally you have three options. The first is this. You can just go home and feel sorry for yourself. You can, and most of us do that. And as a leader, I'll tell you that. I do that sometimes. You go home and you just say, man, maybe I'm not the leader that I thought I was. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. But here's what I want to say to you if that's you. Don't do that. Don't do it. It's okay to realize you're not the world's greatest leader, and even if you do, you see this in the story of Exodus that we're not even going to get time to. Sometimes your moments has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the people that are following you. Don't go home and do that. Go home and realize that you're not perfect. You don't have it all together, but God's mercies are new every morning, and you're going to find new life tomorrow and go back to work. The second option that you have is this. You can wait for Consensus. Just hope that everybody comes around and ends up in the same place. I don't know that that would have worked very well here. They didn't have a lot of time. But here's, in my experience, and I'll say my limited experience, right? Because I'm 35, I don't have this whole thing figured out. But in my limited experience, most of the time that option leads to taking way too long. And even if it doesn't take too long, you normally end up at a place that's different than where you originally felt called as the leader. And so now as a leader, you know in your heart you've compromised what it is that God's called you to. The third option is this, you can lead. And I'm just old fashioned enough, and again I say old fashioned because I'm not that old. Maybe it's because I wrestled my whole life and I'm used to a wrestling coach being in your face saying this is what you need to do, now go get it done. And I know it's not always politically correct to say this, but I believe in the face of adversity and difficult times, leaders need to step out in faith and they need to lead. Now I want you to watch what Moses says here. Verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never face again. And I want you to see, this is a turning point for Moses, right? I want you to see this man that's gone from making excuses, from being worried about his past, to in the heat of the moment, in the face of opposition, saying, God will come through. Do not be afraid. And I hope as you hear this, whatever that calling is that you know you've been called to, I hope that you can right now in your mind, close your eyes, and you can see that opposition right in front of you that you know is there. And you can hear Moses' words. The Egyptians that you see today, you may never see again. And I hope you can see it for what it is, just like Moses did. That's scene four, opposition. There's a scene five. I lied to you. I said four scenes. The reason why I didn't say that there was five scenes at the beginning is because I was going to get you to repeat all the scenes and I didn't know what to call scene 5 and that would have been weird to say scene 5 say and then you went that would just seem strange. So, and here's why I struggled what to call it. I was going to call it like triumph or victory. So, spoiler alert as to what's going to happen. This is a pretty cool scene. God moves. But I didn't want to call it that because I don't want to I don't want to confuse anybody that if you're following God and doing what he wants you to do, that things are always gonna work out perfect the way that you planned. Because there are plenty of people in the Bible that are doing exactly what it is that God wants them to do, and they die. So that's reality, and I want you to understand that. The Bible is very clear that God uses difficult circumstances to develop us in our lives, to build up our character, to help build us into the full measure of Christ, the people who we were created to be. It also says that all things work together for the good for those who love him. So all things means even the bad things. So we just need to know there's gonna be bad things that happen to us in our lives. So instead of calling it victory or triumph, Moses was right where God wanted him to be, doing exactly what God called him to to do. And so we're just gonna call scene five God. So whatever that looks like when God shows up, we're just gonna trust that what he has for us in that moment is what's best. And you probably know this story, but in case you don't, Moses tells him to stand firm And this is what happens in verse 21. The Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. Now, in case you don't know about blockbusters, This is the climax of the story with their backs against the wall between a rock and a hard place, between water and the desert and the Egyptians plowing in on them facing unstoppable opposition. God shows up and the waters part. Now you guys know that we have a phenomenal video team here. And so I told them, here's what I'm gonna be talking about this week. This is what we're gonna be leaning into. And so we're gonna kind of climax everything at the parting of the red Sea." And while I'm a phenomenal storyteller and I'm gonna have everybody on the edge of their seats, thank you for holding your laughter. <laughs> I would love it if you guys could put together a video that would kind of capture this moment and draw everybody in. I think they did a phenomenal job. So I'm gonna have you watch the side screens. That's Moses, by the way. The wind opens the sea. Okay. So that's maybe a bit anticlimactic for the whole story, but I couldn't resist. For those of you that weren't alive in the 50s or 60s, that was a scene from the movie Ten Commandments that I was talking about earlier. If you don't know what happens after that, the Red Sea parts... And the Israelites march through. They get through to the other side, and then the Egyptians follow them in with the water still apart. God tells Moses to raise your staff, and he does, and God allows the waters to recede. And what Moses said becomes a reality. Through God's power, they will never face that opposition again. And so I'm just going to ask you a question. What opposition are you worried about? What excuses are you making for yourself as to why it is that what God's calling, to, calling you towards isn't going to work out? What, what areas of your past are you concern, so concerned about that you're not willing to say, you know what, I know that God is bigger than that. What opposition has you concerned? And this entire time we started out talking about plot lines that are captivating and that while we're drawn into them, we don't always act on those plot lines in our own lives. And it looks like that's probably for a few reasons. One is our past, another is our excuses, and another is our opposition, whether that looks like our enemies or the situation or circumstances we find ourselves in or even the people that we're actually trying to lead. Sometimes that's our friends or our family. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give us three principles that I think we can pull out of this story in Moses that we can apply to our lives that I think will help us out. The first thing I I wanna hold in front of us is this. We all have a calling or a burning bush area in our life right now every one of us. Your calling might not be to go and rescue God's people out of Egypt and set them free to the promised land. In fact, I'm 100% sure that's not your calling. If you think that's your calling, come and talk to me. We have some people you can talk to. We can get you help. That's not your calling. But we all have an area in our life that needs a little bit of attention. For you, that area might just be to come back next week. It might be that simple. It might have been that you just needed to get up out of bed and come here this morning. And so if that's you, that is great. But for some of us, some of us in here have been fighting battles for years. The same battle over and over and over again. And so that call for you might be to step out of your own personal slavery. Not a physical slavery like the Israelites were in, but your own personal slavery. Now, I want you to see, by the way, that this story in the Old Testament, much of the Old, much of all of the Old Testament, is really just a picture of what happens in the New Testament when Jesus comes. God called Moses to set his people free from slavery in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in the midst of our slavery, and it's a different kind of slavery, it's not physical slavery, but us being bound to sin and shame and living for things that we weren't created for and not trusting that what God has for us in our lives is best, in the middle of that... Just as Moses left his his Egyptian kingdom and went to set the Hebrew people free, Jesus left his kingdom in heaven and came to earth to set us free from slavery and from sin and from death. That's what this story is about. And so for you, maybe that next step is just to start a relationship with Jesus. Jesus. Maybe it's to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're a married man and that call is for you for the first time ever to really take seriously the call that you have on your life to be willing to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Which, by the way, means being willing to lay down your life for her. Maybe it's, that you, it's a call to serve your family in a whole new way. I don't know what it is. I just know that you have a call. And so what I want, I want you to hear that. Our call in our life might not be this big pie-in-the-sky thing. It could just be just our next step, an action step, an area in our life. So that's for that side of the room. But I want to talk to the other people in the room too. Some of you, and I'll put myself in that category, some of us, we've actually been staring at a burning bush for a long time. And you know exactly what that thing is in your life that you're called to, and you're waiting. And we need to own it. We need to own it. I want to give you permission this weekend to believe in the midst of your life lulling you to sleep and chasing after that other story that's not what you were created for. I want you to know that it's okay to chase after that thing that God has put inside you. I want to give you permission, permission to, to, to chase after the thing that you know. If you said it out loud in a room like this, there's some people that would sit back in their seats a little bit and say, man, I just don't know about that. That thing in your life that you know you don't have the capacity yourself to really chase after I want to give you permission to believe that. I want you to know that God has put something inside of you that is bigger than you and it's a bigger story than you can live out yourself and God wants you to chase after it. We all have a call. What's yours? The second thing I want you to know is this. We all have a tendency to make excuses. So as soon as you start identifying that area, as soon as God starts whispering something in your ear, he's probably not going to use a burning bush. God used everything in the Bible from just a whisper in a wind to a talking donkey. And some of you are thinking, I have a donkey that talks to me all the time. You'll get that later. But we're all tempted to make excuses as to why we shouldn't, as to why we can't. We're just like Moses. We say, man, my past, my failures, there's no way I can do this. For you, it might be uh, the situation that you're in, you might think, I'm just set up for failure. There's no way that I can do this. Listen, I've seen other people try to do this before and they failed. I don't think it'll happen. You're going you're gonna to realize that I have to lead people towards changing things and they might not be comfortable. And that's a part of it. But you need to know that your tendency, your natural tendency is going to be to make excuses and to recognize those. And they will slow you down. On the surface, our tendency is to make excuses. Not deep down. Deep down, we're drawn to the bigger story. That's the same thing that draws us back to the theaters to chase the same plot line over and over and over again. And it's because you were made in the image of God. And so there's something inside of you that knows there's this epic battle between good and evil and evil and you have a call to play a role. Now that's easy to forget, that that's our first temptation is to make excuses, and so I want us to remind us th- this last principle here, and if you forget everything else that we talk about in the life of Moses, I want you to remember this. You can Write this down, take this home. God is bigger than our past, our excuses, and our opposition. I don't care what sin that you've committed. I don't care what excuses you can make for yourself or for other people right now. I don't care what opposition that you face. God is bigger than our past, our excuses and our opposition. That's why as a church we really believe that we can reach the triangle and change the world. That's why we believe that we can see it happen not because of our capacity but because of God's limitless capacity. And I'm gonna let you in on a little secret here. God didn't need Moses to come up with ten plagues. He didn't. God didn't need Moses to part the Red Sea. You know, Moses made excuses like, what if they don't believe me? What if I'm not a great orator? To which God must have been laughing because regardless of how good of a communicator Moses was, if he was the best communicator on the planet, there's a good chance that water divider was not on his resume. And that's the whole point. It's not about us. It's about God. The first week we looked at Adam. Last week we looked at Abraham. This week Moses. It's not about those characters. It's not their story. It's God's story. And that's the whole point of Christianity. You know, we we get things mixed up. We, We act like Christianity is about this thing where we get our life together. We get everything the way it's supposed to be. And then we go before God. And that is the complete opposite of the truth. Christianity is about recognizing that we're sinful, that we're broken, that we don't have our mess together, and we fail every day over and over and over again. And in the midst of that, Jesus did for us what we couldn't do. He came to earth. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. He took the punishment that we deserved, the death that we deserved, took it to the grave, and three days later rose from the dead so that we could have new life. That's our faith. We're not good enough. That's the baseline of accepting and calling yourself a Christian. And then we get it messed up because we think at that point now we have to have it all together. But this thing that we call our church to, growing in our relationship with Jesus, is waking up every day and believing the same thing. God, you've called me to this and there's no way that I can live that out. And so I need you to show up. I need you to work in my life and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to put faith in that calling that you've placed on me. The reason that we don't chase after the things in our lives that God's called us to is because we think that we have to be a superhero to live them out. But we don't. We need to be ordinary people who put their faith and their trust in a God that's bigger than we are. He's bigger than our past, our excuses, and our opposition. I'm gonna have you bow your heads. And I don't, I don't know what this looks like for you. You know, you can... Um, it might not seem smart to, to paint a big picture and cast a big vision and go through an epic story like this and call people to, to acting and then not giving a direct action step. But that's okay. I, it's not my responsibility to tell you what that action step is. I, I can tell you at Hope Community Church, our vision is to reach the triangle and change the world. Our mission is to love people wherever they are and then to encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And so for you, maybe that's just to find out who those people are. Maybe it's to go into your workplace. Maybe it's to go into your neighborhood or your community. You See, I don't know who my neighbors are. Get to know your neighbors. Maybe that's the action step. But in your classroom, and your dorm room, find some people and love them with everything that you have. And when they start asking you questions, you point them to Jesus. You know, at Hope, we would love to see six people right now, not right now in this room, but step up and say, I will go and lead a small group in North Raleigh, or I will go lead a small group in Garner Clayton. And the reason that is, is because we know over the next three years, if they do that, the amount of people that will be impacted as they go and serve and love that community would be huge. We know in three years, we'd have 24, or 25 small groups in those areas. 500 adults is enough people to start a campus. In three years, it took us 15 years to start our first campus. And Kid City, we need men. We want to see men step up and say, I will lead a small group for five-year-old boys, and I will walk alongside of them through middle school, through high school, and I will be their small group leader every, every year for the next 10 years. Reminding them God's bigger than their past, their excuses, and their opposition. And I'm going to see those kids come to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to baptize those kids. And I'm going to see those students go out into the world and make an impact. We have more high school students right now in small groups than we have homes to put them in. So my hope is that somebody feels called to say, you know what, I I can open up my home and I can let high school students meet in my house. And I don't necessarily feel qualified, but I'm willing to help lead that group. And you'd be willing to say that, trusting that we would give you some kind of training. God doesn't need you to part the Red Sea. He can show up and take care of that. I don't know what that call is for you. I know what we're doing at Hope, but here I want you to hear this too. If you have a call in your life that we will never know about at Hope Community Church, and I say, this, I, don't, I, I say this in a positive manner, I don't care. As your pastor, my hope is not that you would just jump into what it is that we're doing, but that you would chase after whatever dream, whatever calling that it is that God has placed in your life for his purposes and for his kingdom and for his glory. I want you to chase after it. We all have a calling. We're tempted to just make excuses. God's bigger than our past, our excuses and our opposition. I believe God brought us here today for you to see that area in your life, to have you stop making excuses and to trust in his ability as you take that next step. Father, I thank you. just for putting something inside of us that recognizes a call to something bigger. I thank you that the scriptures are filled with stories of people taking that step of faith and you showing up in a way that only you can. So this weekend, I just pray that you would awaken whatever that is, that your Holy Spirit would convict us, whatever that area is, that we would see clearly the calling that you have for us in our lives, whatever area that we need to see, amen.